Can you hear me okay? All right. I want to begin really um, simple. Uh, life is hard. Life is difficult. Life can be downright exhausting. And uh, many times we can lose hope. We can lose hope even though we have the Christ among us, dwelling in us and dwelling through us. We can lose our focus. We can lose our bearings. You know, when I uh, think through the passage we had just read from the Song of Solomon, and I think of how this, this future bride is just saying, and I was looking for my, for my lover, and he was, he was gone. But once she found him, she grabbed hold of him and embraced him and, and vowed to never let go. Shouldn't that be our hearts before God? Shouldn't we desire nothing more than to cling to him? Like Jacob clinged to the man and wrestled with him until the morning's day. And says, I will not let go of you until you bless me. Until you move in me and through me. And then Jacob is given a new name. Israel wrestles with God. And so as we, as we walk through this sermon in Job 7, let me just tell you, Sometimes I wonder why I pick the books I pick. But then I realize it is the word of God and it demands to be preached. It demands to be spoken. It demands to be explained. Because the book of Job is not about Job. The book of Job is about the God of Job that holds Job and holds him fast. And so I want you to keep that in mind as we walk through today. Even when you think of the book of Habakkuk, or however you want to say his name, Habakkuk, okay, you think about it, and there's this, this prophet crying out, saying, God, how long? How long? How long? And so, when you think of Job's life, you think of the mess that has happened in his life, when you think of the, in the first day, because he's not privy to the conversation that God had with the sons of God, specifically with Satan. And that first day, he loses all of his animals, every bit of livestock. And out of each case, one servant comes saved alone, just to give the news of what he had just lost. And the fourth one comes and said he lost all ten of his children. And... I think sometimes we err in saying, oh, but he got 10 children in the end. What does that mean? How does that comfort? How does that help? But if we look at it as this story is about God and God's glory and God's honor and God's praise, we can begin to look at the book a little differently. And in all this, Job did not sin in his heart against God. And then chapter 2, he loses his health. And his wife tells him these beautiful words of encouragement. Just curse God and die. But you know what? His bride is hurting right along with him. And so Job spends from chapter 3 on, whenever he speaks, speaking things that are not true of God. And, and really just, just walking through a mess of his life. Because honestly, I believe he took his, off, his eyes off the prize. And he put him on things that cannot be fixed under his own power and strength. His friends cannot comfort him enough. He has lost absolutely everything. And no hope in sight. And when you think through that, how many of you have been struggling lately? With discouragement just mounting up. And depression creeping in. And feeling like, you know, you feel like you're failing and you're okay with it. Have you ever felt that way? I'm failing and I'm all right with it. I think that's where Job is at. So if you have your Bibles and you're able to stand, please stand as we read Job chapter 7. Job chapter 7. We, we may not read the whole chapter, but we are going to go through the whole chapter. Job chapter 7, verse 1. Is there not an appointed time to man upon the earth 
Are not his days also like the days of a hireling, as a servant earnestly desiring the shed, desires the shadow, and as a hireling looketh for his reward, his work? So am I made to possess months of vanity, and wearisome nights are appointed to me. When I lay down, I say, When shall I arise? And the night be gone, and I am full of tossings to and fro until the dawning of the day. My flesh is clothed with worms and clods of dust. My skin is broken and become loathsome. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. Oh, remember that my life is wind. My eye shall no more see good. The eye of him that hath seen me shall see me no more. Thine eyes are upon me and I am not. And as a cloud is consumed and vanishes away, and so he that goes down to the grave shall not come up, shall come up no more. And he shall return no more to his house, neither shall his place know him any more. Therefore I will not refrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Oh, Father, as we look to Job's words today, the word, Lord God, the words that you've inspired and had penned so that we would learn from Job's life. I pray that you would help us to be comforted and helped. Lord God, because we have to understand we're not alone. There are many that have gone before us that have struggled and hurt, that have gone through pain, that have lost, lost all hope. But Lord God, you are the God of hope. And Lord God, you are the one that holds Job fast. And Lord God, if we would be honest with ourselves according to your word, you are the one that must hold us fast to even breathe because we cannot breathe without you. So I ask that you would have your way today, Lord God, that Christ would be fully formed in us, that our suffering, our hurts, our pains, we would not see as this burden that we must just endure because, hey, that's how it is. But we endure it because it helps us to grow and change and look more like Christ. Lord God, we're just so thankful for your mercies today, Father, and for your kindness. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. And so I want you to really think through this. Job was written to show that his brokenness, his worries, his hopelessness that Job faced and his wrong heart attitude towards God. Listen, yes, Job did not sin with his lips before God in chapter 2 after losing everything, even his health, and being told by his wife to curse God and die. But it does, mean Job, it does not mean Job did not begin to think wrongly about God. I, let's say this at the front end. I believe Job was doubting the goodness of God. And that's why he's in the state that he's in. That's why he is so broken and undone and spent. Not just because he lost everything, but he also lost focus and sight of the good God of heaven. Who is still good in the midst of our struggles. He is still good in the midst of our pains. Because he is always good and merciful and kind. When I think of my brothers that are struggling, I think of Mark English could barely move his arm after COVID and look at me. I think, Lord, why? Why not even make it through it? Then I think, I can't think that way because God has a plan and a purpose for it all. I think for my brother Andy going through what he did and, 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 and joyful in it. That's hard to be joyful and struggle. It's hard to be joyful in pain. It's hard to be joyful in discouragement and despondency. But if we keep sight of that God is always good, then we would find hope and rest in Christ who is our righteousness. And so I want you to ponder through that. Today you will see that your circumstances do not have to carry you into hopelessness and worry. So that your view of God is not tainted. Guys, when we take our eyes off the prize and take them and put them on our circumstances, our worries and our hopelessness, we really are tainting 
the God we say we trust. God is not a capricious God. He's not sitting there and, and, and doing things just because he's mean. He does things because it is in his purpose. Who, what right do we have to question the potter on why he made the clay the way he did? And so ponder that and think about that. But guys, in all that struggle, understand you're not alone. So our first truth today, circumstances need not push you to hopelessness and worry. Look at verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 7. It says, Is it not an appointed time to man upon the earth? Are not his days like the days of a hireling? It's not an appointed time for every man on earth. By the way, not just every man, but every beast. Everything will one day die and cease to be. But God's God will never cease to be. He is the ever-existent one. But is man not finite and temporary? Is man no more than a, a breath, a vapor, the wind? I want you to listen to what it says in Psalm 39, verse 4. Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is that I may know how frail that I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as a handbreadth, and mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is all together vanity. Selah. The psalmist has this in mind as he's asking and praying to the God of heaven to help him to see how frail he is, that one day his life would end, so that God would show him how needy he is. So that he would remember and rely on the grace of God. And so this, this is, he realized that his days are but breaths in regards to life. He realized that his age, his years, about a drop in a bucket, a vapor in the wind before God. That every man who thinks he's all that is altogether vanity in comparison to God who is forever and ever. And never ceases to be. This is somewhat what Job has in mind here. But what Job does is he makes it and it's all about his hopelessness. It's all about his pain. It's all wrapped up in, in he's all wrapped up in this question, but not as a good thing. And see, so he asks, are not a man's days like the days of a hireling? What is a hireling? Someone who works. Someone who's called and paid for to do a certain task. So are not the days of his life like one who works hard and labors and desires rest. Some say it's like a soldier who has fought hard and he's waiting for the end of the battle to come. So his reward would come. So that the end of fighting may come. So this is a continuation of the lack of hope for chapter 6. Because Job feels like he has fought enough and he's done. He's finished. And he doesn't want to continue anymore. I want you to look at what it says in Job 6.4. If you get a chance, you can turn there. But if not, it's okay. Listen to what it says. For the arrows of the Almighty are within me. And the poison whereof drinketh up my spirit. And the terrors of God do set themselves in array against me. He blames God for the arrows. He blames God for tearing him asunder. To tearing him apart. To cause him to trip and fall. These hurts, these pains, these struggles, these trials, these shames, these circumstances have poisoned him. And so, he is desiring for it to finally end. Job 7.2 says, As a servant earnestly desires a shadow, and as a hireling looks forward, or look for his reward of his work. He is like a servant who's waiting for the shadow. He's waiting for the night to come. He's waiting for his work to be done. He doesn't want to continue. Like a laborer who's waiting for the night so that he would have an end to his labor and a reward for his work. He wanted his day to come to a close. He wanted his reward to come. He wanted rest from this battle of life that is weary to his soul. Job 7.3. Give me a moment. So he goes on. His hopelessness builds and compounds. It morphs and conforms to the brokenness around him and the brokenness of his heart. 
Job is hurting. You know, it's so easy to say, Job, how could you? How could we think that? Because when brokenness happens, we hurt. Sometimes I think we, we, we go through and we, we, we think poorly of Job, or we think poorly of Job's friends, or we think poorly of Job's wife. But every character in this book has to learn and has to grow and has to change. Watch what he says next. Job 7.3 says, So am I made to possess months of vanity and wearisome nights are appointed to me. Job has resigned himself to something. He's resigned himself to misery. He's resigned himself to fail. He's resigned himself to give up and die. He has resigned himself to fail with pride, I guess you'd say. He's done. He wants everything to end. He foresaw, the, he, he foresees these months of vanity, these months of emptiness, these months of fruitlessness, this, these months of just vain living with no hope in sight. Not only did he foresee the end, then he says he's, made to, he's been made to endure all these months of uselessness. Where is some nights, anxious nights, have become his portion that has been given to him. What is he doing here? Again, without saying it, he is throwing blame on God. He is throwing, uh, I think today they say he's throwing shade on God. Okay? And he is making, he's making it a point to say, God, look at what you have done. Without saying it. God has appointed him to this brokenness and he is questioning the goodness of God. Watch what happens in verse 4. Job 7, 4 says, When I lay down, I say, When shall I rise and the night be gone? I am full of tossing to and fro from the dawning of the day. So he, he lays himself down and he begins to question, Why do I have to wake up? Why do I have to wake up? And I go, I toss all night. I'm full of angst. I'm full of anger. I'm full of bitterness. I'm full of hurt. I'm full of pain. And I'm going here and there and everywhere. And I get nowhere. Have you ever felt that way? The emptiness and uselessness of life. He is so spent. He's wandering restlessly into the dawning of a new day. Continuing the same old, same old. With no hope in sight. No rest for his weary, anxious heart. He is so spent and must face the fact that another useless day is coming. Another fruitless day appears and it happens again and again with no hope in sight. I want you to look at what he says in verse 5. Job 7, 5 is amazing. And he says, My flesh is clothed with worms and clouds of dust, and my skin is broken and become loathsome. So Job shifts to his physical infirmities here, and he told his friends that the state of his body is a mess. He says, My flesh is clothed with worms. Is he really clothed with worms? This may be a play on words. He feels like he's being eaten up. But are they physical worms? I do not think so. I want, want to just re look back at chapter 2, verse 7 for a moment. And I want you to listen to what Satan does to this man. And so Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And, and he said... That he, he took a potsherd and scraped himself wherewithal and sat down among the ashes, uh, the ashes. The sores were everywhere in his body. From the sole of his foot to the tip of his head, he was hurting. He was consumed with these boils. He's so broken, he's already mourning. And he would scrape these boils with a piece of pottery. 
His skin was broken and become continuously loathsome. It was like a cycle of pain. They would come, they would, they would sprout up, he would scrape them, they would crust up, and it would be again and again and again in continual pain. Endless cycle of days. Job 7, 6, my days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. I don't know what a weaver's shuttle is. I think it's the guy that makes clothes or the woman that makes clothes. And it, they spin this stuffs and, and it weaves like a blanket or something. Okay? And if I'm wrong on that, don't tell me it's okay. I don't need to be a seamstress or a weavesteress. Mistress? No, forget it. Uh, and so I want you to really think. I don't really know what that means, but it's complaint. It's because I've seen them a little bit. It kind of goes like this, and it puts a new layer and a new layer. I've done some, uh, what do they call that? Not quilting. Uh, knitting, not knitting either. Crocheting. And everything always turned into a hat because it kept on going in a circle. And if you are a crocheterer, don't tell me I'm wrong. I'll just make a hat every time. And so... He, here he is. His days are spent and hopeless with no help, no comfort, no hope, and no hope for an eventual end. He is just waiting. His days are spent. Look at verse 7. Job 7, 7 says, Oh, remember that my life is wind. My eyes shall no more see good. He then remembers that his life is but wind. And, but not in the way that causes him to understand and apply himself to, to truth. That God is the one that gives him his breath and God is the one that anoints his step. But in a way that is not thankful for his breath, for his life. He just wants his breath to stop and to end. He was but a wind. And instead of being thankful for that breath, he was thankless. And he saw his life as meaningless, useless, and fruitless. He again resigned himself to never see goodness again. His life was a mess. He did not want to look past his hurt. He didn't want to look past his circumstances. He, they were too much for him. Prosperity for him is a thing of the past. It's done. By the way, I always boggles my mind when I see people say name it and claim it, blab it and grab it if you had enough faith have they read the book of Job I'm sorry have they read the book of 2 Corinthians where he says and Paul says I cry out to the Lord to remove this thorn in my flesh that is putting it by Satan to buffet me cry out three times and he says and God's response was my grace is what sufficient for you it's enough it's enough but that's not where job is at right now job 7 8 the eye of him that sees me shall see me no more the eyes the, thine eyes are upon me and i am not he wanted the eyes that see him to no more see him and he wanted to disappear so that none would ever look at him again even though he was still seen with the eyes of his friends, with the eyes of God, he wanted it to be as if they never saw him at all because he is already really as good as dead. Wow. Thanks, Tom, for preaching to us. I'm going to go home and just wallow in self-pity. And, you know, guys, it gets better, I promise, but, but not in this book quite yet. So, but we'll, we'll hopefully encourage you before you leave, okay? And if not, you can complain to the pastors and they can find somebody else. Okay, Job 7, 9. And as a cloud, and as a cloud is consumed and vanishes away, and so is he that goes down to the grave, he shall come up no more. Just as a cloud disappears and vanishes, that goes down to the grave, it will no more come up. And so... How hopeless is he? How done is he? He, he, he? he is as good as dead with no hope for life anymore. I want you to look at verse 10. And he shall return no more to his house and neither shall his place know him anymore. The dead will no longer go back to their home. 
Their stations won't even remember them, where they were at, where they were growing. It's done. So he is beside himself. How do we respond to, to concerns like this and worries like this and struggles like this and pain like this and hurts like this and betrayal or loss or feeling forsaken not only by your friends but by God? How do we now function? Hopefully this will get a little hopeful. Okay. I want you to look at what happens with. You have to understand. Guys. Look at me. You are not alone. You're not alone. Many in the scriptures have faced trials. And temptations. And struggles. And shames. And pains. Jeremiah 40 years of preaching. And no one really listened. You had about three believers in the book. Not good numbers. Only 4,600 went into exile out of, who knows, millions? We don't know. All we know is it wasn't good. And so I want you to listen to what Jeremiah does to God. This is brilliant. He said in Jeremiah 15, 18, he says, Why is my pain perpetual and my wound incurable, which, listen, refuses to be healed? Wilt thou be altogether unto me as a liar and waters that fail? So Jeremiah questions why his pain just keeps on coming. Why his wound is not just not being healed, but it's continually refusing to be healed. Refusing to submit to the God of heaven for healing. And, and his pain was so continual. He is not resting the God who made him and formed him. His wounds are so incurable, refusing to be healed. And he was wallowing in his brokenness, refusing any type of comfort. And then he compared God to a liar. And you would expect lightning to strike him down. But God is so gracious to him. And he says, return. Take away the precious word I've given you to preach from the vile, disgusting things you're thinking about me. Stop doubting my goodness. And, but if that wasn't enough, we could go further. There's other people who have struggled and had shame and were needed comfort. I want you to think of Psalm 60, uh, 61, verse 2. Uh, Jer- uh, David cries out. He goes, I cry out to you, O God. Attend unto my prayer from the ends of the earth. I cry to thee. Well, my heart is, listen, overwhelmed. Lead me to a rock that is higher than I. So spent, so tired that... Heart is overwhelmed, so discouraged and despondent. He can't even function. And yet he says, God, I need you. And what he does then, he begins to remember the grace of God in his life. And he says, you have been a shelter for me. You've you've been my protection. And then the next part of the passage, verse 3, says, you've been a strong tower against the enemy. You have been my protection and my protection. And then he goes into future I will come into your tabernacle and will hide under the cover of your wings. I'll come to you. When he says, lead me to a rock that is higher than I, he may not know it. David may not know it. But he's asking to go to Christ. Because Christ is the rock of salvation. Go read 1 Corinthians chapter, I think it's verse 11. No, 10. 11? 10. 10. Maybe. Well, you figure it out. 11. Whatever. Where it says Christ is the rock that followed them. Where they got that spiritual drink from. And so we have to understand that we have a God in heaven who is trustworthy and true. And what has happened here is Jeremiah, Jeremiah, Job, well Jeremiah too, has lost his look to Christ. I want you to look at one more book. Uh, Pastor Jim read this for us in uh, Habakkuk. Chapter 2, verse 1. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon thy tower and will watch to see what he will say to me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. The reason why he says that really goes back to chapter 1, verse 1. And listen to what it says. The burden which Habakkuk, the prophet, did see. And, oh, Lord, listen to what he says. How long shall I cry? And thou wilt not hear, even cry out unto thee of violence, 
and thou wilt not save. Then he continues, he says, Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are none that rise, uh, that, that are raised, uh, raise up the strife and contention. He goes, God, why? But God doesn't answer him right away. He goes, well, I'm going to wait until God speaks to me and corrects me for my complaints. And so, guys, we're not alone. Again, we already talked about Paul. God's grace is sufficient for him. Guys, is God's grace sufficient for you? It was sufficient for Job. But Job is going to have to wait several chapters. I don't know, like 30 before he figures that one out. But God is good. And he's merciful and kind. So God is our sufficiency. I remember making up a word years ago. I, I wanted out of ministry. I didn't want to do it anymore. And I remember saying, God, if you're not enough, I don't want to be in ministry anymore. And as I read Psalm 61 and then 2 Corinthians 12, I remember saying, all right, God, fine. Your grace is sufficient. I will rest in your enoughness. Yeah, by the way, that's not a real word, I don't think. But that's okay. God is enough. And so, so let's jump to our second truth. Because our second truth is, is pretty brilliant. First one is we shouldn't be given in to hopelessness and despair and worry. Our second one, don't let your circumstances taint your view of God. Don't let your circumstances taint your view of God. I want you to look at Job 7.11. Therefore... I will not refrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. This is amazing. For this reason, he committed, he, 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 all this hurt, all this pain, he said, I'm not going to stop complaining. I'm going to whine. I'm going to say whatever I need to say. I'm not going to keep silent. So, He's not going to cease his complaining and his anguish and the hurts and his broken spirit. He was all ready to continue in the bitterness of his soul, whining and complaining that would never end. Job 7.12, am I a sea or a whale that thou settest a watch over me? He speaks and complains about his friends, okay, who, who were there to care for him and comfort him and help him and encourage him and to, to mourn with him and to just share life with him. They were good friends until they opened their mouths. But they were good friends. But they didn't comfort him. Because not only you know, are they there to, to comfort him, but they cannot comfort him. Only God can be his comfort. Now, I'm not saying that they cannot help and come alongside and weep with those weep and mourn with those who mourn and praise God. We need to do that. But in the end, who should be holding Job? Not his friends, but God. God is his only hope. So he asked whether he is a sea or that must be watched. Maybe the waves will come crashing over or a sea monster that they have to keep watch over so he doesn't go eat anybody. I don't know. And, and so why are they there? Comfort has turned to judgment. And what's, their friendship has actually turned adversarial. They have become like his what? Like his enemies. And so they were there to encourage. And because of the state of his life, they attacked him because... It must have come because of sin. Because if it didn't come because of sin, then oh no, they might face the same battle. The same brokenness, the same hurt, the same struggles. They may lose their livestock, their children, their, their health. And they would rather attribute it to sin because if it's sin, then it's not their fault. It's Job's fault. So, I want you to look at 7.13. When I say... My bed shall comfort me, and my couch shall ease my complaint. What more can he say? You know, he, what can help him? His unhelpful friends didn't really help. And he goes, even if I confine myself to my room and lay down on my bed, and I wallow in my self-pity, and I just think, man, let me just die. You won't even let me do that. You won't let me even rest. Let me just, just leave me alone. I'm done. And so 
He was so done, he complained that even if he were to find hope and rest on his bed, wallowing in self-pity, he complained that it would not help him because they would make him fee, fee, you know, as he's wailing in his bed, they would make him worry and fret. Instead of allaying his burden, they have added to his burden. You must be in sin. Repent. You must have done something really, really wrong. Repent. So, Job 7.14. I want you to say, you can tell me if I'm right about this. And then it says, Then thou scarest me with dreams, and terrifieth me with visions, so that my soul chooses strangling and death than my life. You have become burdensome to me. You've done more to hurt me that I'd rather be strangled to death and lose every breath that I have than listen to you anymore. Wow, what an encouragement to his friends, huh? So, it's so dark he would rather choose strangling one to be snuffed out of breath, to be given over to death, than to continue in a life when he is smothered by hopelessness and judgment and words from his friends. I want you to really look at verse 16 with me. He says, I loathe it. I would not live always. Let me alone for the days for my days of vanity. Job hated his lot that he has been given. He knew that he would not live forever. And he told them all to just leave him alone. Let me be. I don't want you around. I don't care what you have to say. Just shut up. Don't speak anymore. So this attack on his friends quickly shifts to, his, uh, to another attack on God's goodness. Look at what happened in verse 17. I want you to, I'm going to read it and then try to think, is there a verse that helps us here? What is man that thou shouldest magnify him? That, that thou shouldest set thine heart upon him? And that thou shouldest visit him every morning and try him every moment? Does that not sound a little like, I don't know, Psalm 8? What is man that you are mindful of him? Is the man that you visit him? Okay, I want you to think about that. He, he, he's using very similar words. Very similar words. But both have two different purposes. For Job, they were words of hopelessness. For the psalmist David, they were her, words of hope. And words of comfort. And words of grace. And words of mercy. Speaking to God... He, he wanted to know God, why God would magnify him, why God would set his heart upon him, why God would put any attention on him at all. By the way, who brought Job to Satan's attention? God did. The God of heaven brought attention to Job because the God of heaven is going to be the one that holds Job faithful that holds Job to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. He is going to hold him. Why did God even care about him at all? That he would allow him to, to struggle and suffer through all these things that he has faced to come upon him. He further wanted to know why God would even visit him every morning. And watch what he says, and try him every moment. See, he's not only seeing God as unfair, He's seeing God as poking him with a stick. Come on. I'm not touching you. I'm sorry. He, he's, he's really, God, why? Why do you keep on coming at me? And so, again, Psalm 8 verse 4 says, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Son of man, thou visit him. Why does God care for any man? Why does God care for you? Why does he care for me? Why does he visit man with salvation? Why does he visit man with, with judgment? Why? Because he is the God who cares. And he is the God who will do what is good and right every time. So these are questions the psalmist is, is asking. But he's not questioning God in the psalms. He is glorifying the God who made and formed and uses man for his glory. And puts man in dominion over all that he has. By the way, it's a psalm of praise. Look at verse 1 of Psalm 8. It says, O Lord, our Lord, how 
excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. God is the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. He is Jehovah God, the great I am. He is being, because he always is and was and is to come. He is the Almighty. God's proper name. The tetragrammaton, I love that word. Don't know what it means, but I love it. It's a great word. It's just the name of God. It's, it's amazing. So why does he care? Here's the answer. Because he does. Why is he so mindful? Because he is. Wow. By the way, those are not really deep theological answers. They're just logic. Okay. Why does he visit man? Because he can. And because he promised. Remember that, that, that Genesis 3.15 that Pastor Doug preached to us. The proto-evangelium. The pre-gospel. The pre-good news. That there is, a, there is one coming. Who will crush the serpent's head. And all that serpent will ever do is nip at his heel. Guys, we have a savior. He has crowned man with glory and honor and given dominion to man over all creation. The only thing outside of the dominion of man is the death. Death of anything. Guys, God is the only one that is in charge of a death. We are in charge over his creation, but he holds death. And what he has done, instead of giving death to you and I, he sent his son and he slayed his son. So he would not have to slay you. We have an amazing God in heaven. And so, here's death that Job is wanting and praying for and begging God for and challenging God to do. And God doesn't give it to him. Job's attitude is not at all glorifying to God. It is sinful. It is a complaint steeped in brokenness. His desires, he desires this answer from God as to why all this has befallen him and why he will just not just let him die. God doesn't have to answer that. He is God. I'm sorry if that sounds wrong, but it's because I believe we have a wrong view of God. We have a wrong view of suffering. We have a wrong view of, of struggles. Praise God for the struggles. Job welcomes and desires death, but God doesn't grant it. The book of Job is not about Job. It's about the God of Job who holds Job. He is the one. Job 7.19 How long will thou not depart from me? And let alone, and let me alone till I swallow down my spittle. Now he says to God what he says to his friends, just leave me alone. How long will he stay with him until, you know, in this short little stint he has on earth? Because remember, he is but a vapor. He's but a wind. And where his time will finally come to end, he wants to know. By the way, I looked up that word until I swallow swallow spittle, or I, until I swallow my spit. I didn't know this, but it seems it's a it's a proverbial clause uh, that his life is but a vapor. He's but a breath. And so, Job seven twenty, I have sinned. What shall I do unto thee, O preserver of men? Why hast thou set me as a mark against thee, so that I am so I burden myself? Even even though Job holds on to his integrity, he is saying things are not right about God. Okay, he 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 doesn't turn against God and deny him. He's just thinking God is unfair and unloving and unkind. He made this statement. As a part of a, of a rhetorical question that he wants an answer to. He's not going to get it, but he wants an answer to. He is asking, if he sinned, what does that do to God? This is a challenge. And, and so he is speaking to the God of heaven. He called him the watcher and preserver of men. The one who sustains all men upon the earth. He is the one that gives every breath. He gives breath to every man and sustains them. So he wanted to know why God has set, listen, listen to what it says. Why God has set him as a mark against him. 
Why have you put your target on me? Why are you being so unfair? Why are you trying to gun me down without taking me out? He wanted to know why God has set him as a mark against himself. So bad must be the stain of this sin that Job supposedly has committed that he is a burden and a weight against himself or somehow he had become a burden against God himself. By the way, he is not a burden against God. God holds him fast. He is God's burden to hold and keep and comfort and help. Job 7.21 And why doth thou not pardon my transgression and take away mine iniquity? For now I shall sleep in the dust, that thou shalt seek me in the morning, and I shall not be. He asks one more question. Why don't you just pardon my transgression? Why don't you just pardon the breaking of whatever law I broke? Okay? Why don't you just take away all my iniquity? Why, why don't you just forget my willful sin against you? Uh, you know, for if God would just have taken him out, he could just sleep the sleep of death and not have to worry anymore and finally rest. If he were to be judged and allowed to die, then God could not, would not seek him in the morning. For he would just cease to be. We need to remember what Job has forgotten. We need to remember the goodness of God even in the midst of adversities. I want you to see what it says in 2 Corinthians 3, 4. As such trust have we through Christ to God word. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of our, as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God who also have made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills and the Spirit gives life. We have a sufficient God who's given us a sufficient purpose to preach his gospel as ministers of grace. Grace upon grace upon grace. He is enough. Where the law kills and condemns, the Spirit gives life and hope, and rest in Christ. So we are nothing because of us, but because we have trusted in Christ Jesus, who is our sufficiency. He is our enoughness. He is sufficient for you. He is sufficient for me. He's sufficient for any sinner who would turn in repentance and faith. This thorn in the flesh that Paul had, I want to read what God's response was to him. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, Paul says, I, I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure. Listen to what he says. I take pleasure in my infirmities, in my reproaches, when people make fun of me, in my necessities, when I need, in persecutions, when I am put down and broken because of the gospel, in, my, in distresses for Christ's sake, for listen what he says next. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He doesn't give in. He submits. This is beautiful. Or, or uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. We are supposed to give everything, every care, every concern, every worry, every anxiousness to God. And we give it to him by prayer, by supplication, which is prayer, with thanksgiving, which is prayer. We give him our requests, which are prayers. And, and he does something really neat. In verse 7, he says, and the peace of God which passeth, all understand, transcends, all understand, surpasses, goes beyond, all understand, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We are held by Christ. Just like Job is held by God, we are held by Christ. And if that's not enough, Philippians 4.8, now ponder this really carefully. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, Whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report. If you look at this passage, what is true is Christ. 
What is honest is Christ. What is just is Christ. What is pure is Christ. What is lovely is Christ. What is of good report is Christ. Let's ponder and think about Christ. For he is enough. So these conditional clauses, if there is any, if there is any, if there is any, are met with yes, 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 Christ. Christ. Think on Christ. Truthful things. Think on honest things. Christ. Think on fair things. Christ. Think on pure things. Christ. Think on pleasing God. Christ. The things that are excellent. Jesus is most excellent. Think on Christ. That's the only challenge I have. Praise God, Job went through these battles so that we would learn how to function in the midst of battles. Because when God begins to question him in chapter, what is it, 38, he says, where were you when I? Because Job, you must know, because you seem to know everything. You know, but you know what? Job just realizes, oh gosh, I, I messed up. And he repents. And he draws near. Let's pray and then we'll sing and then we'll pray again. Father, you are good and your mercy endures forever. Father, I, uh, I don't know about those that are listening today, how many of them are hurting, how many of them are in pain, how many of them are struggling, how many of them have allowed the hurt and pain to overwhelm them, Lord God. May they look to Christ who is sufficient for all things. Father, be exalted, be lifted up, be honored and adored. I ask that right now you would have your way in us, Father, for your glory. Father, I pray that today, Lord God, we would not let hopelessness from our circumstances overwhelm us and make us think wrong thoughts about you. Lord, I know that we want the answers to why, but in the end, Lord God, we would trust that you are good. For those that do not know you today, may today, they find hope and rest in Christ who is righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen.